0: Thanks for being here. I I think we've got a lot of students here, perhaps some parents here, so uh, welcome uh, and so glad that you're here uh, checking us out. We'll check you out too, so uh, just be looking out for that. But um, uh, today is a special occasion. Uh, No uh, streamers or balloons or anything like that, but um, actually tomorrow is actually a very special occasion. And that is that it is uh, eight years... Since we have planted uh, Outward Church, right? We made it. So yeah, we're done. Okay. Well, um, we're we're uh, we're so thankful um, that God has sought to uh, preserve us in, in through difficulty. Um, uh, I'm so thankful that you've continued to come back. And listen to uh, some pretty bad preaching in the beginning. I mean, it was it was a little rough at times, but I'm so thankful that you've you've stuck with me and that you've heard the word of God for what it is, and not um, through its imperfect uh, preacher. And so I'm I'm thankful that you've been here. Uh, some of you have been here since the very beginning, and and before. Um, there's a number of you, I'll, I'll forget some, so I won't mention any right this moment, but many of you were here uh, at the very beginning, even before the church started, and so I just thank you for having been here for so many years, and um, for serving uh, so many years um, uh, at this church and serving our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, so we're, we're thankful for that. Today we're going to be in Mark chapter 10 uh, again, and I'll be finishing up... Uh, What I started uh, last week, but as we get going here, we'll pick it up in uh, uh, verse 42, most likely there. But uh, chapter 10, Jesus, what we talked about last week, is the greatest teacher. And the reason why he is the uh, greatest teacher is that, in essence, when he teaches, he uh, pretty much disrupts the line of thinking. That most of his pupils, his disciples, have. Jesus comes in and he disrupts our our thinking. And he says, "I, I, I know that you think it's this way, but it's actually this way. And the reason why that's so awesome is that oftentimes we don't really learn until we hear something that's completely different than what we had originally heard or believed. And so Jesus is the greatest teacher because of this, because he disrupts our line of thinking and he inserts a new line of thinking that we may not have thought of prior to that. He talks about how the last shall be first and the first shall be last. He talks about in marriage how you're not just two people, you're actually one flesh. The two shall become one flesh. This is a mystery, as Paul says in the book of Ephesians. It's a mystery to even understand what God has done there, and Jesus is communicating in this way. Today, we're taking this next section, which I didn't quite finish this last week, but I think there's an incredible point here that we could have missed had I done it all last week. So, this is God's, God's uh, ordination of, of this sermon today. What he's talking about is the point of the book of Mark, many theologians say, and I believe it's true, which is verse. 45, which says this, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. So Jesus says, uh, the Son of Man, Son of meaning this, that He's fully human, but that He's also fully God, because He says He came. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Now, that, as well, is counterintuitive thinking. It's disruptive. It causes us to say, what is this all about? What does he mean by this? And some of us, we don't really, we don't really think of it that way, though. So sometimes we need to be convinced that we have wrong, wrong thinking when we don't. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you from my own personal experience this last week. As I was preparing for this sermon, I, 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 was, I was stuck. And normally when I get stuck in trying to write a sermon, it normally has to do with something from the teaching not being communicated to me. And it's not God's fault, it's my fault. I, I am missing something, and there's something in my life that God wants to change, and that's got to change first. And so here I am, I'm studying, I'm trying to get ready, but at the same time, I'm, I'm really bugged. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm bugged and I'm trying to figure this out. And so I'm, I'm, I'm studying and studying and reading and reading and reading. And I finally just said, I need to figure out what's going on in my heart. I, I have to look internally and figure out what's taking place. And so I had asked myself, what's going on right now? And I, and I wrote this out and I wrote down, uh, I have fear. Well, what are my fears? Well, I have, I have fears that may, maybe it's not going to be good or maybe, uh, maybe I don't know enough or, or, or all kinds of things that were coming up in my mind and, and I'm addressing those things and I'm, I'm saying, what is this? There's all this fear. There's all this stuff that's coming at me and I'm thinking about me and I'm thinking about me and I'm thinking about me and really what I think God was trying to show me is that my focus was on self. I was constantly focused on me, but yet God has called me to be a teacher of the Word of God. And so what does my focus need to be? My focus needs to be the people whom I'm teaching. My focus has to be the people that I'm speaking to, and yet my problem is that I'm I'm so focused on myself, I can't get out of my head To think, okay, what has God called me to say to these people? What does he want me to communicate? How does he want me to communicate what he wants to say to his people? But I couldn't because I was so internally messed up. So often we are like this. So often we are people who are self-focused. Let's talk to the church people who consider themselves Christians here for a moment. Some of you may not be believers here this morning. I want to welcome you. Thank you for coming and investigating what's happening here. But what, what, uh, what we do in the church is that oftentimes we look for a church that fits our needs and our desires in life. Now, I'm not saying that that's all bad. I mean, there there's some things I happen to like a great band and uh, loud music, and um, I happen to like uh, low lighting and and, and whatnot. So this fits me perfectly. It's it's fantastic. And so there are preferences, which are not always bad, but what I'm talking about is I'm talking about Christians as a whole inevitably being inwardly focused. So what's that look like? It looks like us serving ourselves all the time. It looks like us constantly being concerned about the things that we're doing and for us. Even when we're trying to serve other people, many times it's for us because of this. I'm doing this because it makes me feel good. Whether you're serving the homeless or over at Richmond Elementary or you're uh, serving in some capacity at the church, oftentimes what we do, and I've told a story on myself, right? So I, I can say this, what we do is we become people who are inwardly focused and people who want to figure out how this best meets my needs. Now, many people will tell you people do things for their own reasons. And so oftentimes, it's a good motivator to say, you'll feel good about this. But there's also another way to motivate you, and that is through shame and condemnation. Now, shame and condemnation Works incredibly to get volunteers. I mean, it really works fantastically, but it also works uh, really well at creating psychotic church members, right? It creates people who are crazy. It creates people who are filled with shame and condemnation. Like if I don't help with the insert that ministry or insert the or or go to community group or if I don't give or if I don't, whatever your thing is that you don't want to do, if I don't do this, then I am going to feel bad about myself and so I'm just going to sign up or I'm just going to give or I'm just going to. Whatever. So don't you see, there's, there's two sides to this. There's, there's, there's this. there's this fear that's self-focused. There's this fear, and then there's this, this shame and condemnation. Perhaps there's three sides. There's, there's another point, which is pride and arrogance. Yeah, I got this handled. I got this worked out. I, you know... Uh, the, the church would be happy to have me because I can do X, Y, and Z. You know, this also happens in our culture. It's not just in the church. It happens in our culture where, you know, if you have a friendship with somebody, it's, it's pretty infrequent that you can meet someone and, and talk with them and find out, you know, we have very similar interests. We enjoy each other, and there, it's like we're equals. We, you know, we don't draw too much from each other, and, and, and so, um, or it, it doesn't cost us a lot to, to be in those types of situations. But as soon as that relationship changes where the other person needs a lot, maybe they get mixed up in drugs, or maybe a relationship falls apart, or maybe someone dies, or maybe they're having financial difficulties. Like, that friendship was great as long as it was serving me. But then it, when it starts to cost me something, that's when it becomes a problem. That's when it, that's when there's difficulty there. People often say that, that uh, uh, and research has found, that people are happier when they're serving other people. And so what we can also do is we can say, you know what, I, I, I really want happiness and I really want to be really happy in life. And so... I'm going to take on this noble task of serving other people. And so maybe you go work in a soup kitchen or, or maybe you donate to whatever thing. Or maybe you're helping on some type of board in the community or, or something along those lines and you're saying, I, I want this happiness. But there, there's a caveat, there's a catch that comes along with that and it has to do with this. As long as you're doing that, as long as you're serving other people, so that you can be happy, you know what's happening? You're still just serving yourself. You're still just serving yourself because ultimately your happiness and your joy and your fulfillment is the root of everything that you're doing. And so what we have to realize is that people who are church people and people who are not church people both have the same problem. And that is that we are self-centered individuals. It would really seem like we need to create a church that's outward, right? You're sitting at outward church. I don't know if you know that or not. We should get a logo or something. We are people... We tend to be self-focused. But you know what? Jesus' same disciples had the same problem. If you look back with me, in verse 35, Jesus has just essentially said, I'm going to be crucified. They're going to kill me. They're, 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 They're going to kill me. I'm going to Jerusalem. It's all coming to an end. And what immediately happens is this, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, I know we read this last week, but it's uh, pertinent for the last bit of this passage. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus and said to him, teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right right hand, and one at your left, in your glory. Now, what, what's what's happening here? Well, you've got his disciples who've been listening to his teaching, and his teaching has gone along this way. He, he essentially says, like, the two have become one flesh. The disciples exclaim in another passage, say, who should get married then? Because that's really difficult. Holy cow, like... Giving of yourself that much? Like, you've got to give up that much? Then Jesus goes into talking about children. Like, we shouldn't push kids away because they bother us. And then he starts uh, talking about this rich man, who's, who's, who, his possessions. And, and, and Jesus says, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. And so Jesus has been teaching them and he's been telling them about what it means to be a disciple in this selfless type of way. And yet the one thing that they can come up with is this, is that like, look, we've given up everything for you. They say that after the, the story about the rich man and his possessions. We've given up everything for you. What do we get? And then they start scheming, this James and John. And they start scheming and they start saying, okay, all right, Jesus, he's, 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 we're coming to the end here. How about you and I hit him up for the right and the left, right? Okay, let's do it. Let's go over to him. Hey Jesus, why don't you do whatever we want? Like, what an obnoxious question to ask, anyway, right? Like that's so irritating uh, in the first place. But Jesus says he entertains it, and he says, "What do you, what do you want me to do for you guys?" As if he doesn't know what do you want me to do. And they say, "I want to sit on your right and your left." Or why don't you figure out who should sit on your right and your left? And Jesus responds. Them. And he says, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And what's he saying? He's saying something's coming. Something's coming. Something in the in, in the near future. He's talking about a cup. It's the events of his life. It's this cup. And he's saying, are you able to drink this? And they arrogantly respond. He says, I'm I'm sorry, verse 40, but to sit at my right hand or left is not mine. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry, verse 39. And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. Now, almost every single commentator that I I read essentially said this. They're probably just upset because they didn't think of it first, right? They're they're like, ah, gosh. Gosh. It's like when somebody makes a great presentation to your boss before you do. Like, dude, I, I had that idea. That was my idea. That's possibly what they were talking about. But here they are. Here are these people. And they're upset because James and John got to him first. Now, what's Jesus going to address here? Jesus is talking to people who have such self-interest their self-interest is all throughout them their ministry what they've been doing what they've given up for Jesus the way that they've given for him the way that they've listened to him their self-interest in so many ways is perverted their self-interest is all throughout their life and and basically this self-interest is disguised as discipleship and service. This self-interest is coming through and it's disguised as self-interest and service for Jesus. I'm sorry, as discipleship and service for Jesus. That's, that's what this is. Did you know that oftentimes when you try to serve, whether it's in the church or outside of the church, that you're... Desire to serve or your desire to be a disciple or even be like Jesus is so often perverted by an utter sense of self-interest. They want to sit on the right and the left with Jesus in glory. And they come out like a kid and say, we want to sit in glory with you. Glorify us, glorify us, glorify us. That's what their issue is. And did you know that every single one of us is self-focused in this? And some of you might say, you know what, I'm not very self-focused. I, I'm, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really actually quite humble. That, that's also a problem, too, if you know that you're humble, right? It mean, excludes you from the running for humility, right? But I'll, that's the way that I think about myself because, uh, because of my fears, my fears before I get up to teach, my fears in life and the relationships that I have, whether I'll be accepted, whether I won't be accepted, the fears that I have, I might think that they are really quite humble, but really it may be the most insidious form of self-focus and self-interest that there ever was. Because I'm thinking of myself all the time. And the idea of becoming a disciple is somebody who thinks of themselves or their self less. Becoming humble is not thinking about yourself more and saying, how much, you know, what else do I need to do? How do I do? It's thinking of yourself less. And that's what Jesus is going to communicate That's what Jesus is going to communicate to them. And he says this, And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. He says this, he says, You know that in the world, in business, typically in someone's marriage, just simply in friendships, there's always somebody that's got the upper hand, and they're always utilizing that upper hand. That's what happens in reality t- TV so often, is that they're always looking for somebody to get the upper hand, whether it's in relationship, because of like The, Bachelorette or the Bachelor, sinful TV shows. I'm just kidding. They're looking for somebody to get the upper hand. There's always this idea of, I'm trying to get ahead. I'm trying to get ahead. I'm trying to get ahead. Jesus says, I know that the world looks like this, but that's not the way that it should be with you. I know that you think that life works in this way. I know that you think that you've got to look out for number one. I know that you think... That you've got to position yourself, and you've got to jockey for a position, and try to get in there, and try to try to make sure that you're heard. You've got to jockey for position in the midst of your marriage, and say, you know what, you're not listening to me, and you know whatever, you know I'm I'm out of here. Or you've got to jockey for a position in your relationships, in your marriage, in your work. You've got to somehow climb that ladder, and that's what our world always thinks. That is what our thinking is so many times and guess what that thinking comes into the church it comes into Jesus disciples it comes into us and we become people who begin thinking about ourselves thinking about ourselves we have so much self interest that we stiff arm everybody else around us we have so much self interest you know what happens as a result a community group that's intended for the city ends up being about us. Now, working towards us becoming a family and, and, and becoming people who love Jesus, that's a good thing. But there's something that's missing from that. What's missing from that? It's when our church becomes so self-focused that all of our events are for us. When we create our own soccer team and our, in our, in our uh, softball league and then we get a, get a cafe, and then we get a school, and then we get all of this stuff. Now, it's, it's all about us. It's serving us. All of the finances are coming internally. All of the service is coming internally. These are people who will appreciate it, right? They'll appreciate me. So I, that's, that's where I feel the best, and so that's where I'm going to be. But what's the problem with that? That's thinking that's from the world, that's thinking that comes from, from the world. And that's not who Jesus is. Jesus says, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all and so what do you do you read that and you just go okay greatness is found in service and so what we do is we say okay i'm 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 gonna do this i'm just gonna do it you know we face we feel some shame and some guilt i i'm i'm just i'm gonna push through with this perhaps we even started with pride and we go yeah this is pretty awesome i'm i'm in charge of something and, uh, and now I, I, I get to do this. But something happens where, where we think, okay, I started out to be a servant. I wanted to model myself after Jesus and, and, and let Jesus be my example. So I, Jesus is going to be my example. I'm serving him. But something happens in the process. And there's this breakdown. And before you know it, you've reached burnout. Or before you know it, you don't want to serve anymore. Before you know it, Guess what? It's no, you're no longer running on an energy and an internal energy that you had, a desire to do this ministry or a desire to serve these people in your community or your, or your wife or your husband or your kids or your boss or whoever it is, whatever you signed up for, whatever you said, okay, I'm going to start serving people. What happens is you get burnout and you say, this isn't fulfilling me anymore. And sometimes you'll even spiritualize it. Well, spiritually, I feel like God's leading me somewhere else. Oh, really? It got hard? Now God's leading you somewhere else? That's interesting. Well, Jesus wouldn't want me to, you know, do something unhappily. You mean, like, bear a cross, maybe? Was that a happy circumstance for Jesus? The answer is emphatically, no. But the result was happy. The result was joyful. So what Jesus says here is he says, whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. You hear that, you say, okay, I'm going to do this, and guess what? It doesn't work, and you reach burnout. Why? Verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Who are we talking about here? We're talking about God in the flesh. He's the son of man. So he's fully human, but he's fully God. And he comes, and what does it mean that he, that, he, that he comes, but that he came from somewhere else? And what did he come from? Well, he's the son of God. And do you think that he lives in squalor, in his kingdom, as the son of God? The answer is no, he is a king. And he lives in a kingdom. And he is royalty. And he's he's this son of God, and yet he's God. And so he is due any kind of praise and worship and glory and all things. And he created all things. And yet the son of man comes, and what does he do? He came... Not to be served. Now, the word served essentially means this. He did not come to have people wait on him. He did not come to have waiters. I like fishing waiters. Waiters doesn't like at a table. Jesse, I know what you're thinking, right? He did not come to be waited on even though he should be. He did not come to enjoy all the benefits of kinghood. The fact that he is the king, the creator. I mean, he should have come in and he should have been praised and worshipped. And people should have bowed down to him. But he didn't come to be served. He came to wait on tables. The most common way to use that word that's used in the Greek there. It's to wait on tables. It's to be a servant. It's to be a servant. When you think about the Son of God who is a servant, like that's kind of got to blow your mind a little bit. But then let's go on a little bit more. He says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give. To give. And to give what? What did he come to give? He came not as a taker to tax his people. He came not as a taker to receive from us. What's the point here? Jesus doesn't need anything from you. Jesus doesn't need your money. Jesus doesn't need your service. Jesus doesn't need your morality. Jesus doesn't need anything that you can offer because as he exists, he has all things that he needs. He doesn't need me. Now, I know you may not think that that's a very uplifting sermon. Jesus needs you. You gotta serve him. But I just gotta tell you that that ends in burnout. That ends in ultimately saying this. Okay, Jesus... I've served you today. I've helped an old lady across the street. I gave some money in the offering plate. Or I'm just a good person and I like God. And so, hey, guess what? Here you go. And oftentimes we say, okay, God should be really happy with me. And I know that many of us want to hear that. That God's happy with me and that he needs me and that he wants me and that he all of these things. But guess what? It ends up in burnout. And it ends up with this, ends up with you saying that somehow you did this. Do you know that that's the most insidious part of the faith? I, I guess I should say it's not part of the faith, but we often include it. That is so insidious for us to think that somehow that I can give something to God that he needs. Does he want something from me? Yes. Yes. Does he need something from me? No. He came as a giver. And what did he come to give? Did he come to give a large portion of his income towards these people, a benevolent dictator that he is, and he has come to help us? Is he like Donald Trump who just said that he is willing to give up to $1 billion of his own personal income Fortune to become the president of the United States. Is he? Is he like that? I mean, because that's a lot of money, right? I mean, it's more than I have. I'm not a TV preacher, right? All right. Um, is he? Did he come to to give something like that? No, he came to give something so much more. And what did he come to give? He came to give his life. As a ransom for many. Now what's this idea of ransom? You got to dig into this. Because the key to this is ransom. It's, it's the word ransom. Now the word ransom. It has to do with this. Buying back someone. I mean we only use the word typically today. When people are kidnapped. They're held for ransom. The family he needs to pay. It's happened in Somalia I think. It's happened in the middle east happens in south america that's ransom jesus says that he gave his life as a ransom but who did he pay cuz that's something you need to think about like who is jesus paying like who did he pay with his life did he pay satan so satan is 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 holding us captive and so Jesus comes and he pays Satan, so he's paying Satan off. It sounds like some of the political deals we have going on right now, but he's paying Satan off, and he's, uh, is that what's happening? No, that's heresy, and that's from a teacher named Origen. Anyone starts talking about how they, they, they really like Origen? You should be careful. You should listen to everything that they say and, and check it with Scripture, No, who is he paying? Well, look back a little bit. And Jesus says in verse 38, he says, you do not know what you're asking. Hey, I want to sit on your right and your left in glory. You don't know what you're asking for. You have no idea. No, I think I do. You know, I I, I want all this glory. I want all this fame. Jesus says, no, you don't. Oh, yes, I do. No, you don't. You don't know what you're asking for. What are you asking for? Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Are you able to drink the cup or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Now, what's he talking about? Now, a cup. Yes, it talks about the experiences of somebody. And Jesus says, I think I even mentioned this last week in Chapter 14, verse 36, Jesus says, if possible, remove this cup from me. He's sitting in the garden. He's going to the cross. What is the cup? Well, in the Psalms, sometimes it talks about this cup of salvation. It's a joyful thing. It's a positive thing. But more frequently in the Old Testament, when we hear the cup, we're talking about the cup of God's wrath. We're talking about the cup of God's anger. We're talking about something that is really kind of confusing because oftentimes we want to say, God is love and I'm about love so I want to be loving and so I want to be with this God but the thing is is that we miss something and what we're missing is essentially that God is like an artist in fact more than like an artist he created artists he created this world he is an artist he's created you he's formed you and you mother and your mother's womb, he knit you together. He's he's created you in in all of the beauty that is you, or all of the handsomeness, guys. Macho-ness, all right. Is that better? God has created you, and you are his work of art. He's created all things. And here he is, this artist. But imagine for a moment an incredible artist on the street who's selling his, his paintings and he's got them lined up over and over and he's proud of his work. Or they're in a gallery and people come from all over and they look and they see, Can you look at that? Like, that's an incredible picture. I can't believe this picture. But then imagine some jerk who walks up and he grabs the picture, sticks his knee through the canvas, tosses it to the ground. Imagine the defacing of that. What kind of anger would that artist feel? How dare you? I've, I've worked for months on that. That was my greatest work. How dare you? Imagine if you're a father or you're a mother and you have kids and you've protected them, you've raised them, you've, you've brought them up and you come upon somebody who is harming them. Imagine what would happen. What's driving you to knock them to the ground, beat them silly, kick them, uh, hurt them? Whatever you would do to them, what is driving you to do that? It's love for your child. What's driving you to exclaim and say, how could you destroy my artwork? It's love for the artwork. God is the greatest creator. He's the only creator. He created you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. And he is angry when his creation is destroyed. The cup of God's wrath means this that he is so loving. He is such an incredible father. He's such an incredible artist. And he's so perfectly just that he cannot allow anything to be destroyed. He cannot allow you to harm yourself through sexual immorality or to harm other people through sexual immorality. He cannot allow you to mar the image of God in you through the way that you treat others and through the way that you overeat or through the way that you whatever, steal, cheat, lie. He cannot allow it because he's a just God and you are destroying his creation. And as a loving God, what must happen is his loving wrath. Jesus says, can you drink the cup? oh yeah, we can drink the cup. Jesus says, you're going to drink the cup here, but you're not going to drink the cup that I am. Jesus is sitting in the garden, and he's so stressed. He's under such immense pressure that the capillaries in his forehead in break and he is sweating blood there's such immense stress why because what was going to happen was this he was going to the cross and he takes your little cup with him of what you deserve he takes your cup and he says, You don't have to drink God's wrath anymore. You don't have to partake of that. I'm going to the cross and I am going to ingest all of the wrath of God. I'm going to drink it down and I'm going to tank it on. Now, what happened there? When Jesus went to the cross and he took on all of the shame, all of the condemnation, when he took everything that you and I deserve for the way that we've misused our bodies or the way that we've treated our neighbors or the way that we've served in order to get glory, when, that, when Jesus went to the cross, do you know what took place? Something was paid. A ransom was paid to a loving God. God is the one who chose to ransom you through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ went to his death willingly. On his own, went to his death. And do you know what he did? He took your place. He substituted Himself for you. It's as if a child were being held ransom. And as the child is being released, thinking that the father's going to pay money, the father goes the other direction and allows his life to be taken in, in the place of the child. It is just like that. He substitutes Himself for you. It's called substitutionary atonement. He has atoned for your sins, for your portion of God's wrath by going to the cross himself. Now hear me on this. Only when you get that and you see what Jesus has done for you, he drank the cup that I deserved. Only then can you go to him and say, the only thing that I can do for you is to serve you. And Jesus says, yes, come to me. Jesus says, yes, and he says this. The reason why you can't lord it over the people around you and the reason why you can't be authoritarian is because I had every right to be and I didn't take it. And I took your punishment on me. So what's this mean for your relationships? You know the relationships that cost you something? The friend that's going through difficulty, you know what's happening there? Substitution. You're taking on their pain. You're you're identifying with them. You're helping them. You're serving them. You know what's happening when when you're serving within the context of the church? You're saying this Jesus gave all for me. How can I withhold anything? And now it's not I need to do this or I have to do this. You get to say, I want to do this because of his substitutionary atonement for me. Because he took on the wrath that I deserved from a loving God, the creator God, who is an incredible artist, and yet I have been defaming his work. And he took all of that on himself. And so the only thing I have left is to give him my life and I want to do this. Won't you serve him? But not because you need to, not because you feel guilted into it, not because you pridefully or arrogantly want glory, but but because the one who deserved glory took your shame. Let's pray. So, Lord Jesus, this morning, I want to pray for those that have never understood this message, at least in this context, or maybe not at all. Lord, they know that they need to give themselves to you in some way. Lord, I pray that they would say yes to you. I pray that this morning that they would simply say, I want Jesus I want his love and grace for me that was expressed on the cross when he substituted himself for me. And I want to take that on by faith, and I, and I want to say thank you. And as a result, I want to live my life differently as a servant. Lord, would you change our hearts in this? Lord, would you change us? Would you change the people that came in without a Christian worldview or any? Or any Type of Christianity or or maybe weak Christianity. Lord, would you change them from people who have just been serving when it felt good? And Lord, I pray that they would release all of those bonds of guilt and shame and understand that you took those on and that you by no means want us to serve other people or in our world or in our church because we feel like we need to, because you've broken that. We stand before you shameless. We stand before you as redeemed. We stand before you as being purchased back. And you love us so much that you did this. And so, Lord, may we give back to you, not because we need to, but because we want to. Lord Jesus, we pray for this in your name. Amen.